Well, listen, if, uh, if you're new or visiting, we're, we're taking a short, sweeping overlook at Ecclesiastes. So if you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and turn there. Um, if you're a note taker, I, I, I wanted to have these on here, but I printed them beforehand and then I wanted to doctor it. So if you want to write these on there, these are the scriptures in Ecclesiastes that we're going we're gonna to spend time as our, as our quote-unquote you, you know, proof text for today's message. So if you can find the book of Ecclesiastes and if you can write those down, uh, while you're doing that, I want to give you a list of some of the most famous philosophers, wise men of recorded history, okay? Now I'm going to give you this list, and I want you to mentally, as you, as you take these names in, I want you to try to tell me what you think all of these men have in common, okay? So think about that. You ready? Plato, Aristotle, Epicurus, Socrates, Confucius, Voltaire, John Locke. Yeah, that was a gimme, right? They're all philosophers. Uh, Immanuel Kant, Rene Descartes, Frederick Nietzsche, David Hume, Jean, or Jean Rousseau, George Hegel. So what do they all have in common? I want you to think on that as we go through today's text, and I'm going to read that to you now. So if you found your way to Ecclesiastes, you should be in Ecclesiastes 2. We're going to start in verse 12, okay? So this is what the Word of God says. Uh, so I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and striving after the wind. So now find your way to Ecclesiastes 7, and we're going to read 15 through 25. So as you find your way there, I'm going to take a drink. Starting in verse 15 of chapter 7, it says, In my vain life I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this. And from that, withhold not your hand. For the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than ten rulers who are in the, a city. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do not... Take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. 
That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? I turned my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. Let's go to Ecclesiastes 8. Eight sixteen and 17 says this. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. And lastly, as we jump into uh, our application of all this text, Ecclesiastes 9, uh, 13 through 18. So if you can turn just one uh, chapter over, Ecclesiastes 9, starting in verse 13, the word of God says this. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with a few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it, in the, in the little city, by the way, uh, a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. So I asked you, what do these men have in common, right? Well, I think, I hope you've kind of caught on to that. Today in Ecclesiastes, we're going to talk about meaningless wisdom. And the whole point is I want to protect you. Quite frankly, I want to protect myself from meaningless wisdom. I want my wisdom to matter, and I want it to help me, and I want it to help you, and I want for your wisdom to matter, and I want it to help you, and I want it for your wisdom to help me and to help one another. And so we all need to guard ourselves from meaningless wisdom. So let's unpack these texts, and we're going to pull some other texts as, as helping texts for what I think uh, Solomon is talking about in Ecclesiastes. But before we do that, let's, let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, you possess all wisdom. Your ways and your thoughts are so beyond our own that we have no category to even assess them. Rather, let us as our brother Job did before you, shut our mouths and simply listen. Lord, we confess that we often choose our own insight over your word. We are wise in our own eyes, and we confess that our hearts are deceptive and we need your help. We need your spirit to bring us clarity. We thank you, Father, that you are patient and long-suffering, that you give grace upon grace, and that it is your good pleasure to grow us in wisdom and understanding. We thank you that you have invited us to taste and to see that you are good and that you have invited us to seek and to know you. So we ask that you would be with us today. We ask that as we look into the living word that you would grow us, speak to us, and in fact renew our hearts and our minds this day. In the name of Jesus and for your glory we do pray. Amen. So here's what I see, and I hope to show you in the text that we've, we've read. Because we've read, uh, again, as Ecclesiastes, there's a lot of reoccurring themes. Uh, and so we're kind of taking a, an overview. So 
of this theme of wisdom through the book of Ecclesiastes, here's some things that I have seen that I want to show you and, uh, as we move this together. So the first point, if you're a note taker uh, of today's message, is this worldly wisdom is of great value. And it might surprise you from the pulpit for me to say that, but I entreat you, just give me a minute, okay? Uh, because I think that Scripture actually proves that out. So worldly wisdom is of great value. Proverbs 3.16 says, so uh, again, if, if you're a note taker, you can write those down. Proverbs 3.16 says, long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. And that's talking about wisdom. Proverbs 16.16 says, how much better to get wisdom than gold. To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. Proverbs, again, in 24.6, says this, For by wise guidance you can wage your war, and in abundance of counselors there is victory. Now, those are, those are the, uh, the icing on the cake, but let's go back to Ecclesiastes for this, right? So worldly wisdom is of great value. We see that in Ecclesiastes 2.13. It says, Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. Ecclesiastes 7.12 says, For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money, and the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. And so the sub-points that I have for you, the reason I'm fleshing this out, that worldly wisdom is of great value, is, is first of all this, it is good for living each day. I mean, think about life. Worldly wisdom is good for living each day. This is why, on, it used to be this way, I don't think it is anymore, right? So they, uh, one of my favorite movies of all time is It's a Wonderful Life. One of the scenes that always makes me cry in that movie is when George is a, is a little boy and he's in the drugstore, right? And, and, the, and the, the, the chemist, the druggist, has just got word that he lost his son in war. If you are familiar with the movie, you're familiar with the scene. And so he's preparing this, these pills that so-and-so needs, right? And he's crying and he, he's drinking. He's, he's self-medicating. And he accidentally put poison in these pill bottles, Right? And George, being uh, the, the good guy that he is, he sees that the druggist has done this accidentally, and he doesn't go and deliver the pills. And he gets a phone call. The druggist gets a uh, phone call from the lady who's supposed to get the pills, and he's like, what do you mean George didn't deliver them? Like, those should have been there a long time ago. And then George comes in, he tries to tell him, he says, you, I, I understand that you're sad. You put the wrong stuff in the wrong container. And he slaps him up aside his, his bad ear. And then the druggist tastes the chemicals, and he's like, oh, George, thank you so much, George. Thank you. And I think that was the time that actually that guy moves into sobriety, right? That's worldly wisdom. George was a kid and knew enough to know, I probably shouldn't deliver poison pills because I know they're poison pills. There's nothing necessarily supernatural about that. Now, I know this movie maybe would beg to differ because God is telling that little angel without wings, which is, by the way, bad. Don't get your theology from movies, okay? Angels don't get wings from ringing bells or anything like that, but it's good for living each day. It's, it's good for us to know which is, what is good, what is better, and what is best, okay? It's also, according to Scripture in Ecclesiastes, it's better than foolishness. That should be clear, right? So he says here, I saw there was more gain in wisdom than in folly as there is more gain in light than in darkness. My wife likes to sleep in utter darkness. She would sleep in a cave if possible. I like lights. Part of the reason I like some lights is because I wear glasses. I have astigmatism. 
So when I wake up in the night without my perfect 2020 vision, I can't see what I'm doing or where I'm going. I don't want to stub my toes on toys that my kids have left out throughout the house. I don't want to accidentally walk into a wall because it is so pitch black. You would think that by now I would know where the walls and where the doors were, but you'd be wrong. And so I like a little bit of light. And it says that right here. Worldly wisdom is, is better than being blind, right? He says, if you're foolish, then you're walking about groping in the darkness. And whatever is out there may befall you. But at least with worldly wisdom, you can kind of see and perceive things that are out there and avoid potentially falling into a pit. And then lastly, my proof for why worldly wisdom is of great value is it prolongs your life and can bring you income. He says that in the text too, for the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money and the advantage of knowledge is the wisdom preserves the life of one who has it. You see, it is by worldly wisdom, if you make investments or in Wall Street, most of those people who are doing investments financially are not doing those investments based on scriptures that they pull out of, 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 of God's text. Almost none of them are going to say, oh, we, the reason your 401k or your mutual fund, the reason we're investing the way they're investing in your mutual fund is because of Proverbs you know, 16.54, and, and this is what it says, and so we're, 16.54 doesn't exist, don't worry, you don't have to look it up, but, but because of Proverbs 16.54, this is why we're doing this, and so God's word says that, so this is why we're doing it. No, they say, no, the reason why we're investing this way is because we know that the CEO is a, is a complete idiot or whatever, and so the stock is about to tumble, and so we're going to short sell it that way because we know that this is totally about to tank. That's worldly wisdom, and this is of great value. All of your retirements, if you have any retirement at all, is based off worldly wisdom. So it'll prolong your life and bring you income. It'll keep you from you know, living the life of a fool, being uh, totally washed out on drugs or alcohol, that's worldly wisdom. There is spiritual aspects to that too, but uh, any kind of chance might befall you. And so, of course, there are general truths with this, but the first point, like I said, is worldly wisdom is of great value for these reasons. But there's a problem. That's right. And the problem is, is that worldly wisdom will leave you wanting. Now, I asked for you to wait for me, you know, from the pulpit saying, hey, worldly wisdom is of great value. Well, here's the part that maybe I hope that you are waiting for. Worldly wisdom is not the end of all. Worldly wisdom is going to leave you wanting. It's just the truth of it. Again, let us go to God's word to prove this out. Ecclesiastes 2.15 says, Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. Now, we're not talking about just some regular wise guy. We're talking about Solomon. We're talking about who Scripture says of Solomon, there has never in the history of the world been anyone so wise. Think about something in your life that you may have spent a lot of time cultivating. Okay? Whatever that is. I don't have a great example for me. Did you want to share what it is for you? Go ahead. Yes. Thanks, preacher's son, for being accurate in your Bible knowledge. Yes, Jesus was wiser than Solomon, absolutely. But he was fully God, so he has to be. So let's, let's set the bar at just straight 
full humanity, right, which is just Solomon, so the wisest man who's ever lived. He spent his entire life cultivating his wisdom, seeking out wisdom, and what he finds at the end of it is, look, it leaves me wanting also. Ecclesiastes 7, 23 through 24. All this I have tested by wisdom. I have said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? There was answers to even he could not find in all of his worldly wisdom. Ecclesiastes 8, 17. Then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much he may toil in seeking, he will not find it. Here it is. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. Proverbs 21.30. No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. See, worldly wisdom is of great value, and we all ought to cultivate worldly wisdom to some degree, but we also must understand that worldly wisdom will leave us wanting, and the way that Scripture tells us that that's the case is, firstly, it will end in death. Solomon says that. Worldly wisdom in and of itself is not anything that's going to be able to, to keep you from perishing. And we're doing a great job in seeking to have worldly wisdom keep us from perishing. I mean, think about it. We have, we have vaccinations for things. We have uh, medical procedures for things. We have medical equipment for things. Uh, I mean, any one of us in America right now, if you needed some kind of life-saving surgery, the chances are quite, quite high that you could go and get it done today. And all of that was made through worldly wisdom. And none of the people who'd made those things or who invented those things, none of us in those room are going to be preserved from death through worldly wisdom. So worldly wisdom is of great value, but it's only great value in this life. Scripture other places says there's, there is no wisdom, there is no understanding where you are going. And then he says, which is, she, which is the grave. Second reason that worldly wisdom is going to leave you wanting is it will not preserve your name. Now, some of us care more about this than others. But for example, let's just look at some great names that maybe we know, right? So there's, there's a big building in downtown Grand Rapids that you can go into and you can watch all kinds of shows. Does anybody know the name of that building? Harold R. Ford, that's one. What's another one? I didn't use one specifically because there's multiple. What's another one? Movie the movie theater? Okay, but what's the name of it? Van Andel Arena. What's another one? 20, okay, what's the name of the building? Don't tell me the streets. I don't know. I don't know Grand Rapids. I live in Allegan. Oh, it's the name 28th? Well, whoever that person was, they had a strange name. But Van Andel Arena, right? Ford Stadium. Whoever those people are named after, they're dead. And so, yeah, their name is on a wall somewhere. Their name is on a plaque somewhere. This used to strike me. So when I was down in Kentucky, I worked at a hospital. It was called Jewish Hospital. And I was a transporter for part of my job there. What a transporter is, is exactly what you might think it is. I bring people from point A to point B, 
and then from point B back to point A. So if you're at Jewish hospital and you need an x-ray, I'd come pick you up in your room. If you can get in a wheelchair, I'd bring a wheelchair. If you couldn't, I'd take the whole bed with all your poles and everything with it, and I'd bring you in the elevator. I'd bring you down to x-ray. I'd drop you off at x-ray. I'd give them the old salute. I'd go back to get somebody else. Later on during the day, maybe me, maybe somebody else, we'd come and pick you up from your wheelchair or in your bed from x-ray. We'd bring you back up to your room, and we'd put you there till you need your next thing. As I'm walking through the halls, there was a specific hall of donors. You ever seen a hallway like this? And there's just names all over this thing. And, 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 by the way, depending on how much they gave, there's different color metal. Some metal is silver, some metal is bronze, and some metal is gold. Not real gold, I'm sure. Otherwise, somebody would be snatching them things off walking through the hospital. But their names are all over the wall. And as I'm walking through a hospital, by the way, sometimes bringing bodies from the room to the morgue, I walk past these names and I think to myself, I wonder how many of those people came into this building and went out the same way that these people are going that I'm bringing. You see, their name might be on a placard, but eventually Jewish hospital is going to have to be remodeled. What's going to happen to the placards then? Eventually, one day, Jewish hospital is going to burn down or break down or go out of business and be discarded altogether. And where will those names on those placards be then? You see, it won't, res- it won't preserve your name. If you want to leave a legacy, it is not going to be through worldly wisdom. Yeah, there's statues with Plato and Aristotle. Yes, there's textbooks with their names. That's how we know them. But in the end, when there is the new heaven and the new earth, we are not going to be talking about Plato or Aristotle or Nietzsche or Hegel or any of those names because there is only one name that's going to matter. And it will not save your soul. I think I was clear with this already, but worldly wisdom may actually keep you from salvation. You see, because there's a breed of people that think for themselves so wise that they have figured out that God doesn't exist, and if he does exist, he certainly wouldn't save us in the way that he chose to save us, because that doesn't make sense to you, because you're so wise. You see, worldly wisdom is of great value, but it will always leave you wanting. That was Solomon's problem. He was very, very wise. He was seeking the meaning to life. Above all these things, this is Solomon's plight. He knew that the things of God are far too deep for him. He would never find them out. didn't matter how much time he spent in wisdom. So at the end of his life, or at least when he was writing this, at one point he questioned, I have wasted my life in a pursuit that in the end is going to bring me nothing. So what's the shift? Well, I hope you know what the shift is because I don't want you to have meaningless wisdom. I want you to have meaningful wisdom. And that is, if you didn't know, divine wisdom. Divine wisdom comes from God alone. That is where it comes from. Now, I have a large section of text. So I am going to read fast and try to be accurate as well. Divine wisdom comes from God alone. If you're a note taker, you can write down 1 Corinthians There's two sections that we're going to go there. They are going to be on the screen, so you can follow along if you want. But 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 31, and 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 14. Are you ready? The guys in the back are going to click through. 
For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debtor of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 2, 6-14. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age, who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand these things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So firstly then, this is only obtained as a gift. It doesn't matter how wise you think you are. It doesn't matter how many books you read. Quite frankly, it doesn't matter how many sermons you sit through or how many books of preachers you read, commentators you uh, invest in, if it's not delivered to you by the Spirit of God, you will never understand the things in this book. You are saved by grace through faith. This is a gift of God. Try as they might, all men, all women, we have our limits. Secondly, of this divine wisdom, it often appears as foolishness to the world. I know you've, if you've sat in churches for any length of time, I'm sure you've heard some preacher somewhere say this, but it doesn't take away from its truth. We wear, these, we wear these crosses around our necks. 
it would be very sim in Rome, it would be very similar today as if you wore a little electric chair around your neck on a, on a, on a pendant. How morbid, how sick. A little electric chair or, or a little uh, you know, poison syringe or, or, or whatever. I mean, that is what the, you're wearing an illustration of death around your neck. And to the Romans, this would appear as ridiculous. To Jews who wanted a sign, they're like, show me your Was it not said of Jesus on the cross? Hey, you say that you're this guy, then pull yourself down from there. These Greeks, these Romans who think of themselves as very highly educated, this is where the term barbarians came from. They're talking about everybody else, right? If you're not Greek and you're not Roman, then you're a barbarian because you don't, you're not cultured. This often appears as foolishness to the world. If you tried to explain the internet to King Arthur, right? He'd have no idea of what you're talking about. He'd be like magic or just ridiculous. Or, or he'd lock you up because he'd be like, well, you're clearly crazy. You're telling me that I can see somebody from across the world and I can hear them and I can even watch something that happened, you know, months or years ago as if I was first person there. Uh, and, and, and you're telling me that, that with all of that, that people are going to use that mainly to watch cats? I don't believe you. You're nuts, you know? So this appears as foolishness to the world. God's wisdom is much, much more. And by the way, in it is the meaning of life. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, I just don't know what God has next for me. Well, brother or sister, I hope that you will consult Scripture. If you're a young person, you're thinking, I just don't know what God has for me. What's the will of God's life for my life? Well, consult Scripture. Solomon sought to answer this question. This is what he was doing. Well, all of the book of Ecclesiastes is Solomon's search for the meaning of life. He searches for the meaning of life in wisdom and in foolishness. He seeks it in riches and in pleasures. He seeks it in arts and sciences. He seeks it in, all, he seeks it in, in ruling well and in just being an, an, an idiot, uh, apparently. He sought the answer of the meaning of life, and the meaning of life is seeking God, finding your fulfillment in Christ. Society seeks to answer this question. Is that not why we have things like pride events or people, you know, doing all this other things, whether it is something sexual or in nature or not? We seek the meaning of life in just, even sometimes in good things. Like, I am a family man, and the meaning of my life is to be a good husband and a good father. That's not a bad thing, but that's not the meaning of your life. The meaning of your life is to worship and glorify God, to be the best person in Christ that he has died for, designed you to be, bought you to be, that's the meaning of life. And if that is the meaning, then yeah, you're going to be a good husband, you're going to be a good father to boot. But society seeks to answer this question in all kinds of ways. But the Spirit is what holds the answer to this question. So in closing then, divine wisdom is of the greatest value. This is how you don't have meaningless Wisdom. Your wisdom has meaning if it is divine. Now, there's plenty of scriptures I could have used for this, but I do understand timing. And so I left them out for you to seek on your own because I don't want to rob you of being a good Berean and studying your scripture for yourself. So where do we find divine wisdom? Well, you find it in God's word. Divine wisdom is of the greatest value because just like worldly wisdom, but better, it is key for living each day. 
Worldly wisdom will say, all right, what is good, what is better, what is best, in some degree, for just physical ease. Divine wisdom will say, what is the most God-honoring? What is going to bring God most glory? What is going to bring me the most joy in Christ Jesus for each day? How to pursue righteousness each day? How to seek after God each day? What is his will and what is for our good? Worldly wisdom doesn't do those things. Worldly wisdom might protect us from doing stupid things, but this is what gives us the best thing. It is key to living each day. World, or I'm sorry, uh, divine wisdom is of greatest value. It, it is the key for living. It will also ensure your life and give you a reward. Now, what I mean by that is not that if you follow after God, you are guaranteed to live well on into your old age. We know that that's not the case. Solomon says that too. He says, I saw a righteous person who died in their righteousness, and I saw a wicked person that prolonged their life in wickedness. But what I can tell you is what the Bible says, and that is when we have divine wisdom, which is Christ and him crucified, ultimately, it will ensure your life. Yes, it will, because your life will not end ever. We are eternal creatures and I want for you to have eternity with Christ and not eternity in hell. So will it ensure your life? Absolutely. And it will give you a reward, not just income. You see, God has our best interests at heart. And he invites us to enter into his rest daily. So this is not just a sermon for people who haven't been saved yet. This is a sermon for those of us who are living our lives right now in Christ Jesus to encourage us to walk daily in seeking God's wisdom each day for our life. Because the scripture says, this is the day that you have made. Today I will rejoice in it, right? He says, don't say to people like, I'm going to go to that city and do that thing, but instead say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. Well, are you saying that, O Christian? In him, life is everlasting. In him are riches overflowing for all eternity. Are you treasuring up things here on earth alone, or is your treasure in heaven? Where are you investing? It will preserve your name. Again, some of us care more about this than others. You know, I am the ninth John in my lineage, so I had no choice. My son is John. He goes by Rowan. I'm John. I go by John. You knew that. My dad is John. He goes by Gary. You may not have known that. And so that goes back. That's an interesting fact. I hope, I've told my son, I said, I did my job. If you want to destroy this legacy, that's up to you. <laughs> no pressure. But people want to preserve their name. Well, do you know that divine wisdom makes it so that your name is written in the book of life, never to be blotted out? Do you know that divine wisdom allows God, which is a weird thing to say, so you can check me on that theology letter. I, I hope that that's right, but getting to where I want to go with that, divine wisdom allows God to grant you a new name in Christ. He will know you by name and he will claim you as his own in divine wisdom. And then maybe last, and, and I think best, and that's why I saved it for last, divine wisdom is ever increasing. It does not end at death. First of all, 
divine wisdom is ever increasing because this life, we are constantly being sanctified. Meaning, I hope that the John that is pastoring Elgin Bible Church 10, 15 years from now is wiser than the John you see before you today. I hope the same for y'all. But also, we have to remember what kind of God we serve, what kind of God he is. Our God is an everlasting God. Our God is an eternal God. Our God has wisdom that is so far and so above anything that we can even begin to imagine that all of eternity, I believe, we will be constantly growing in this divine wisdom because he is unsearchable. He is incalculable. His love is beyond our scope. All of eternity, we will be ever growing in our awe, in, in our delight, in our joy, in our pleasure of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and in how we are now part of that, and in how we are relating to one another outside of our sinful nature, and in how we are developing this new heaven and this new earth as we were divine, as we were called to be workers, like we just talked about last week. And so we will always increase in our divine wisdom because God is unfathomably deep. And God will continue to grow you because it is in his pleasure to do so. So, in closing, maybe you got it. I hope you did. All these men, what do they have in common? All those wise men, what do they have in common? Well, they were worldly wise, and that's great. And they've got a little something to show for that, right? But the deep wisdom of God, I don't know if they could ever find out or not. I think many of them, based on their writing, we can assume that they did not. And so in the end, what will they have to show for their worldly wisdom? Nothing. They, as Solomon has said before them, is vanity, is a strang after the wind, and in the end leads only to their own destruction. So I want to encourage you. I, I, I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you. I want for you to search for the deep wisdom of God. I want you to find your treasure there. I want for you to daily wake up and think to yourself, where are my riches? Where are my joy? Where's my hope? Where's my peace? Where is my life? And God, what will you have for me to do today? Give me wisdom for today, that I might live today as your son, your daughter, living out a wise life according to your word and your call of what you've placed on me. So that in the end, when you get there, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, we do ask that you would help us to be wise. We know you have said, we believe that all wisdom is in you, is of you, is through you, is to you. Help us then, Lord, we pray. We thank you that the ultimate wisdom we see in what the world calls foolish, and that is that a virgin gave birth by the Holy Spirit to a carpenter son who would then go to the cross willingly to pay for the sins of, of a humanity that forsook him. And then not only that, that he would claim, but also that those who would come after him would claim in, in truth that three days later he would rise from the dead and that he would be seated at your right hand and that all we must do to be saved is simply put our hope and our trust in him. To a world of doers, to a society of those who says, prove it, 
that seems very foolish. We thank you that your wisdom is unsearchable, uh, that your glory is forever, and that your love is abounding so that you might reveal these things to those who are being saved. It's in your name that we pray that you might help us to grow in wisdom by your spirit, that you might continually reveal more and more of yourself so that we might be more and more like you every day. It's in your name we do pray. And all God's people said, amen. So here's what I'd like to do. Uh, I'm going to call some